This is An Immigrant's Life. I'm Aaron Deliosa. Thank you for being here, and I appreciate you for joining me, no matter what or when you're tuning in. If you haven't already, please consider clicking the subscribe button to officially join the Immigrant Nation community, wherever podcasting platform you are listening from. And you can also become a part of this community by following us on social media at An Immigrant's Life. That's where I post additional content about the episode and sometimes about my life. Also, if you or someone you know is interested in being guests on our podcast, feel free to reach out via social media or by sending an email to animmigrantslife at yahoo.com. Let's connect and share your unique story. Now, let's dive into this week's episode. Today, I'm thrilled for you to listen to a conversation I had with an amazing artist. He reveals his personal journey of returning to the rosary and the profound way he reconciles his Catholic faith with his LGBTQ identity. We dive into the landscape of LGBTQ acceptance in the Philippines, and we explore how he uses Baybayin as a powerful tool for creating Filipino spaces and his goals for his Baybayin art. This episode is filled with engaging insights, personal stories, and inspiring moments. So let's not waste more time. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is not only a Baybayin artist, but also a community organizer. His Baybayin art beautifully weaves culture and creativity while his energy inspires communities to organize. Everyone, please welcome Mark Libatike. Thank you very much. You're welcome, man. Thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you for reaching out. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I haven't said it to you, but we have a, actually a connection, a fire connection. Other than Ali, you know Jose Reyes? Jose, yeah, he interviewed me like this time last year. Yeah. Yes. So he he was a former guest. Oh, great, great! I'm gonna reach out to him right after this call. I'm gonna that's, tell him. That's <laughs> why I told to. Ali when Ali connected you to me. I uh-huh. said, "Yo, I know this dude." Oh shit! Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Are you, you're like in my radar, but I'm like, I don't know. I have this sometimes inferiority complex. Once you know, like I don't know. I, maybe he's too cool for me. I don't know. Absolutely not. No, I'm I'm so excited to talk to anybody. And like, you know, my my craft is very nerdy. <laughs> it's mm. it's born out of like a very nerdy part of my brain. Like that, like just kind of like that nerdy, like, you know, loving languages type thing. Mm. Um, and so, you know, there's there's absolutely no type of person that I wouldn't be geeking out and like have no problem talking to <laughs> about this stuff. I appreciate that. Before we move on, why don't you tell the immigrant nation where they can reach you and promote your art? Yes. Um, so right now I am exclusively on um, Instagram. That's kind of like my main way of connecting with people. Um, TK by Bayan is mm-hmm. the um, Instagram handle, um, but I'm working on getting an online shop um, set up. And uh, that handle is where you can kind of reach out to me for um, kind of opportunities connecting around specific commissions, or if you want like um, speaking engagements or workshops, especially in like the New York tri-state area, that's, that's where I kind of like, um set set all that up so look for me on on instagram and um that's where i'll make announcements about kind of like expanding into other kind of like media and things like that amazing amazing yes it's 
one thing we have another in common is I actually got back to by buying this year. I started uh, oh, doing yeah calligraphy. I have a page, but oh, I awesome. I haven't done anything in a while because I'm super busy. So I mean, but, you know, well, it looks like you are. So that's a good thing. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I, it is. But but I love like seeing other artists' calligraphy style. I'm like, yo, that's cool. How he did that? Like how he went to the left, or he used heart instead of a cross, or something like that. You know? Right. Oh, exactly. Especially when it comes to the technical aspects of bye bye. And like, I I also love looking at different. Like you know, the community is, it's 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 small right so you can kind of like we, we can drop the, the same names and we can talk about like specific styles and like the styles are growing as the years go by mm-hmm. and as more and more people know about it so yeah that's definitely something that I, I do as well yeah exactly for the people that doesn't know uh could you educate them quickly about by buy-in yes so by buy-in is the tagalog name for um one of the writing systems that was used in pre-colonial philippine times um, to write down um, the indigenous languages of the Philippines. So it wasn't the system that was used for all of them. Um, you know, we're a country of dozens and dozens of languages and um, regions have different kind of like interpretations of the writing system, but it's one of the, one of the many. Um, it was descended from Sanskrit. It has um, relations with like, you know, the the, sh- the script that is written to write, uh, used to write like Javanese, Thai, these other Southeast Asian languages. Um, and so um, you can kind of like see those relationships when you when you um, travel Southeast Asia and you see those writing systems. Obviously, the, in the Philippines itself, it was quickly replaced during colonization by the Spanish language and the Spanish alphabet. And so today, 99.9% of Filipinos can neither read it nor recognize it. But now there's like a small group of um, artists and calligraphers and researchers who are trying mm-hmm. to kind of, um, you know, unearth um, th- this aspect of our um, indigenous identity and, um, you know, rebirth it for the modern age and, and try to um, kind of like make it um, a piece or, or a source of, of um, pride in, in, mm-hmm. in our um, indigenous heritage and also kind of make uh, like, you know, we envision a, a future in which is actually a little bit more practical than artistic. Um, and so, you know, a lot of calligraphers and artists are like kind of blending those two things together because it's a functional writing system and, and you know, it's it's theoretically possible to use it as such um, in the near future. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm here in the New York area um, and I tend to be kind of like the person who's called for kind of local commissions and, and, and that's kind of um, my reputation here. That's amazing, man. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that it was ba- it's somehow based on Sanskrit. I read somewhere that it was quote unquote proven that it wasn't based on Sanskrit. Do you have like, how do you know that it was based on Sanskrit? Just well, it was. It's 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 a it's a, a relative of kind of like the the systems of of or the family systems, the writing mm, systems. Okay. Um, and so I guess like descendant of Sanskrit is not the, the most technical, technically correct, but, or accurate, but um, I guess you can say that um, it's part of just like the, the system of Abu Gita's that had developed okay. in that area of the world. And so, you know, Sanskrit is, um, w- is in South Asia, um, the Abu Gita's that were created. And when I say Abu Gita, I mean like these specific types of writing system that are, um, that are based off of syllables and phonetic kind of just like um, uh, uh, those um, specific types of phonetic 
units rather than letters. A letter is like um, a, b, right? Um, mm. But an abogida is ba, ke, la, right? Yeah. Um, and so you can see that relationship in um, writing systems such as Sanskrit, such as Thai, um, and 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 the um, Southeast Asian scripts like the Malay scripts. And so, yeah, uh, it, it's uh, I, I would say probably a distant cousin, more, more so. Yeah, well said, well said. Yeah. yeah, but I do actually prefer by buy-in because if you want to learn to read it, it's so easier because there's no silent letters. It's like what you see is what you're gonna say. Yeah. And that has obviously also kind of like evolved out of uh, over the centuries, right? Mm -hmm. There was a there was a moment in time where it was a little bit more um, kind of like understood, like these silent final consonants and things like that. Mm. Um, if you study like languages like Arabic, you'll notice that a lot of it is understood. There's not like some of the markings are removed because um, it's a language that um, relies on you understanding the language um, very fluently in order mm. to be able to read it pretty fluently. And um, historically, that has been the case for language uh, for languages that were written in by Bayan, but um, we have things like kudlits and things like that that are now kind of like used to kind of create that context, which is a little bit more um, comfortable for, for us in the, in, in the contemporary age. Yeah, exactly. Uh, about the kudlit, because we know that it's either like a dot or a like a semicolon, a colon, or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then the Spanish came. They had the cross. What's right. your opinion about the cross? <laughs> um, I think I mean the cross is practical. Mm. Um, I, the cross is obviously kind of like related to the idea that like the Spanish friars were trying to kind of use the language to um, you know evangelize and and you know add their spin on it so mm. uh, you know I'm I'm not mad that the kudlit was created <laughs> but I think it's um, I think artists today are free to kind of like take that and interpret it how they will mm. um, you know using um, kind of like curved strokes instead of the cross X's mm. um, I've seen um, artists who kind of like use do dots on both the top and the bottom of a character. Um, mm. And that's kind of like one of the ways. And so it's also it's also interesting to see over the years which one of those becomes a little bit more popular amongst different artists um, yeah. and which one which ones um, tend to be a little bit more distracting. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, especially since like artists are interested in kind of like playing around with the different orientations, right? Horizontal versus vertical, um, mm. you know, backwards, forwards, and things like that. I'm um, trying to mirror um, the brush style or the the writing style of, of like Chinese or, or Japanese or these other East Asian languages. And so, yeah, it's, it's always an interesting kind of like piece to it as well. Yeah, I, I like what you said that, that, you know, it's we're letting the, the artist put their spin on it and like, okay, they'll use the cross, but they're taking back the power like the word indio when the, mm -hmm. when, the when jose rizal and those guys decide like yeah you call us indio guess what we're gonna call ourselves indio yeah we will <laughs> you know taking back yeah. the power of the word you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i like that let's leave a little by buying just a little bit let's go personal you said you're you live in new york but originally from jersey mm -hmm. city mm -hmm. how who who moved first to the states and and why jersey city yeah, um, very good, very deep question. Um, so my family is originally, both my parents are from um, the town of Bawang in La Union. Um, and Beautiful so, place, um, by the way. 
I know. I mean, you know, over the past decade or so, it's become, you know, the last time I was there, it was like when I was a kid, it was like, you know, just like a regular town right next to the water. <laughs> but now it's like everybody this weekend. I'm like, OK, cool. Yeah, like, yeah. so i'm like watching all these videos on youtube but um back in the day it wasn't all that it, it wasn't it, it didn't have all that um it was it was a more sleepy town but um yeah um you know my my mom was part of like that wave of um uh, migrant nurses in the 70s mm. and 80s who came to the new uh to the united states um because of the nursing shortage here in the united states during that time mm-hmm. um and my father was an ofw who worked in saudi um during the 80s um, and then he so eventually moved his way. Yeah, it's you know, it's the textbook. <laughs> it's the textbook, um, like Filipino American narrative. Mm. Um, and they, uh, I think, I mean, my, I think the matriarch of my mom's family chose um, kind of like the New York area first. Mm. Um, and he, she came here in the seventies. Um, and, and then my mom followed, and um, I know it was part of like that historical kind of uh, moment where the gates were opened for um, people from all over the world to come to the United States after decades and decades of really, really strict immigration policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Philippines, which was just very recently since at that point, you know, like, a, you know, American colony, there was really, really strong ties there. Um, there was like, you know, a, a kind of like enthusiasm about moving to, to um, the United States um, I mean, you know, as Ilocanos, we had the option of moving to Hawaii, to California. I'm not really sure why we ended up in Jersey City. Um, but, you know, there <laughs> could was. Have, a... You could have gone to Hawaii, dude. <laughs> I could have gone to Hawaii. I mean, I was there two weeks ago and everybody was Ilocano. It was like the, the standard non English language and like everybody who worked at the 7 Eleven and all of these, they were. And it was, it was kind of heaven for me in that sense because I never mm-hmm. kind of like experienced that. Because the Filipino community, especially here in this area, was is like you know, it's much more cosmopolitan, and so like Tagalog is the language we use to communicate with each other. But mm-hmm. um, being in Hawaii and just kind of like Ilocano, being like that, mm-hmm. that kind of um, default was was very special. Um, but I think like most of my family who um, left the Philippines on both my mom and my dad's side, since they were from the same hometown either ended up here or in the Toronto area, where I believe mm-hmm. you are. <laughs> I'm from Montreal. Oh, you're from Montreal. Okay, sorry. Yes. I, I, so, yeah, uh, a lot of them um, ended up in the suburbs of Toronto. And so mm-hmm. at least like twice a year, um, we either go up there or the expended, extended family comes down here for like That's birthdays awesome. or anything. So it's like a very, very like porous kind of membrane, like that that border between <laughs> the, the States and Canada for us. Um but yeah, like Jersey City itself is a it's um it's a very diverse, very vibrant um, community of immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to brag that it's um, we have like like the the ethnic or the racial breakdown of the city is like absolutely equal um, in terms of like the major groups. So it's like twenty five percent like descendants of Europeans, Black, Hispanic, and then Asian, um, mm. and then a huge portion of that Asian. Is actually Filipino, um, and then we have our eth- our ethnic enclave, um, and you know it's like uh, in in addition to Queens, we kind of like make up like the big like the big kind of like Filipino pockets mm. um, of of the tri-state area, and then we have like towns like Bergenfield and and things like that in New Jersey, and kind of like those kind of like neighborhoods are like mm. what makes up the Filipino area, and so you know people talk about New York and New Jersey, and like that's kind of like what they talk about. Um, and like it's a small area geographically, you know. It's like what every like I'm 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 still like 
I'm only five miles from my house. Uh-huh. Um, and so like I visit my parent, my family like every weekend and like, it's a very kind of just like a, yeah, the, the border is, is very kind of like vague because beautiful. it's just like water, right? It's just like on the other side of the water. Yeah. You mentioned about yeah. Filipino community being big in Jersey, in New York, California, mm-hmm. but we don't really have like a quote unquote Filipino town. You know how Chinatown, there's yeah. Italian, how come we don't have Filipino town? I think, I mean, special, definitely in California, there are historic Filipino towns. Mm. Um, and I know in Jersey City, there is a section of it that was historically kind of like where the Filipino migrants um, would go to, oh, uh, would, would uh, migrate to. And a lot of those families have been there for multiple generations. When I was born, my family lived in kind of like where they were, where the Filipinos were. Um, mm. And it was called like the neighborhood of Westside. I personally grew up in the neighborhood of the Heights. Um, and there, yeah, it was a little bit um, less, it was more decentralized, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, I don't know. I don't know why, why like, um, kind of the, the Filipino communities didn't stick to the Filipino towns the way that, um, like, Chinese communities kind of really kind of built it up over generations and generations. Maybe mm-hmm. Filipinos are just uh, addicted to migration. <laughs> we just keep, we need to keep moving. <laughs> we need yeah, to keep perhaps. Or yeah. also the bad side of us is the divide and conquer idea of the spanish oh maybe i don't know yeah. i don't know yeah you know how I it mean, is especially I, I, yeah, yeah i mean like growing back home is like i'm tagalog by the way and it's uh-huh. like we were it was drilled in our heads like oh these are visayas or this is ilocanos or we don't mix with them I'm like why they're cool uh-huh. they have good food why, why not you know and I think it's, yeah. it's unfortunately, I think it's not hundred percent the reason, but I think that's adding to it. I mean, I get. I used when I was a kid growing up, we would have kind of like these little um, shadows of that. I guess mm. um, you know, I have like memories of like um, my <laughs> my parents kind of walking me through the stereotypes, right? So it's just like <laughs> I oh, want to hear people... this because I don't hear anything. Oh any, no, because I no, only no, hear it I'm on the get, other like, side. Canceled. I hear it from my side. I don't hear it from the other side. I mean, you know, there are stereotypes about how, like, people from certain uh, ethnic groups tend to be a little bit more vain, and they're the ones who buy, like, the LV and things like that, and they kind of spend a lot of their money being showy. Uh, and then, like, some... And I know that the Ilocano stereotype is that we tend to get drunk a lot, and we're not very intelligent. Like And cheap. <laughs> and cheap. Like, yeah, exactly. But, like, I had to, like, explain yeah, what yeah. that was to one of my friends. <laughs> Um, but I mean, I see that in myself as well. I'm like, I'm really thrifty. Like I, I, I accomplish that stereotype very, mm. very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a good quality, like, by the way. It's a good quality. Listen, I, my savings account is excellent. Well, uh, excellent. My, my credit is great, but, um, yeah. Uh, but like when, but like growing up in like a, a place like Jersey city, or like mm. if you were to grow up in Woodside in Queens, um, where like it's a much more diverse kind of set of Filipino backgrounds. Like you definitely just kind of like default to like the the pan Filipino kind of identity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just to neutralize it. But also because you're you're comparing yourself to other immigrant communities. And that's that's basically what they did as well. Like, right. Mm. So I'm sure in the Hispanic community there are um 
divisions or like you know stereotypes within them but like you know when they're up against asians then they're hispanic you know and, and the same with like african communities and and middle eastern and south, south asian so yeah it's, it was it was very natural for us to do that but as i am growing older and i am interacting in more contexts with um filipinos from other parts of the states and as well as people uh, filipinos who came here for work mm. or something as adults mm. Um, and they're my peers. I'm like, oh, I'm getting to understand like different um, uh, different interpretations of the Filipino identity, and it's like really interesting because like there are aspects of being Filipino that I didn't ex- didn't realize were exclusively Filipino American, mm. or even more even in more detail, I didn't realize they were Filipino American from the East Coast or Filipino American oh, from yes. New Jersey, right? So like even that stuff like is uh, like i'm i'm getting I'm, I'm understanding or i'm learning that is is different yeah i had a conversation with a, a cambodian artist from atlanta sokayun and he's mm-hmm. the first one that mentioned that to me that like mm-hmm. yeah i am cambodian from atlanta but there's all cambodian mm-hmm. from california and they have their own thing like it's cambodian but it's also american and california yeah. it's a beautiful thing about the diaspora is we are allowed to grow in different areas and we grow in a different way. Yeah, yeah. And it's definitely, I mean, like, that's just kind of like the way that ethnicity kind of like functions, right? And mm-hmm. um, as, as you know, the idea that like an Irish American is so different from an Irish person from Ireland. I think with our community, we are still very, very close to that moment in history where we just came over here. Mm. Um as, as a huge group, I know, you know, the Filipinos were actually the first Asian group to come to the United States in the 16th century. Like, it Come on, we don't travel alone. You know this. Even I to malls, we're like 30 people together. I know, I know. But like en masse, right? Like, and, and creating these really, really sustaining communities. And so as the generations go by, like, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be like different kind of like, you know, sometimes I fantasize about the idea of like Tagalog being kind of... Um, like reincarnated as with like a like an American dialect, right? Mm. Um, and so like the like maybe three generations from now, there's going to be American Tagalog, and it's going to sound really really different, you know. Mm. And and um, you know we have people our generation who are like having kids, and those of us from the American side who are trying to relearn Tagalog or things like that, um, and just kind of um, uh, like you know pass that. Uh, for the purpose of purposes of passing it on there's going to be an accent there's going to be like you know cultural kind of influences there so yeah that's um that's that's what i think about all the time i like that with because even in the philippines the people that speak tagalog or whatever you speak they have different accents mm-hmm. so that's why mm-hmm. i love when you say that that there's different accents from like jersey or if you're a if you're a sibling if you're a offspring of a person that you know moved from La Union, and then he moved to Jersey, and then you have kids. They speak a different <laughs> way, which I loved our language. I love that that spice, you know. Yeah, no, the the variety is really really special, and I think like just I mean, the North America is huge, and like you know the Filipinos that were were dispersed everywhere, and so you know I can't wait for a future where like you actually see regional variations in our Filipino <laughs> kind of like speech. You know, that's like it's cool. It's cool to think about. It's like it's, we're colonizing the colonizers <laughs> <laughs> slowly, slowly but surely. You know. But speaking of language, I saw that you speak French, parle français, and Mandarin. Oui, je parle français. Oui, oui, oui. And I also, Where did yeah, you learn? I, I actually spent, 
Um, school. I was just such a, a language nerd. Like my my high school was um, didn't have too many options when it came to languages compared to other high um, high schools. But mm. um, I I studied French in high school, and then there was this one uh, at one point they started offering Mandarin, and I took that up too. Um, it was like an after school thing, and I was just like, really enthusiastic. I thought Chinese looked really cool. <laughs> Uh, and then I con- continued with it, and in university, I, I um, minored in both of them. Mm. Um, and then I spent some time in in Paris in an academic program there, and then I actually spent some time in Beijing in an academic program there. Wow! Um, and it was very different experiences, <laughs> but the, both of those were really really cool. What kind um, of experiences? Well, okay, so like the Paris experience, I mean, you know, it's kind of like the study abroad in Europe experience. So like, mm. that was very much like what you would think. Um, mm. But it was awesome. Uh, it was a bilingual program. And so all of the people in the program were speaking at, like the classes were both in English and in French. And so, mm. um, yeah, I was able to kind of just like go between the two. Um, but the Beijing one was a academic program that was specifically for you to learn Mandarin. And so mm. you actually had to like, when you landed, you actually have to sign a contract that you wouldn't speak English for the next three months. And if they catch you speaking English, you have to go home. No. And so I, you were forced. You were forced. To what if you say like, okay. if you, uh, you would say in a Chinese accent, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you would say, okay. I don't know. That's funny. Um, but it was it was tough dude um but it was like yeah it was eight hours a day of just like chinese drills um and so at the end of it i was like i was and this was also 2016 which was like the height of like the south china sea west philippine sea island Mm -hmm. dispute (laughs) and so every time somebody asked me about like the islands or every time somebody found out i was filipino they would that was what they would ask me about and so my script in my head to like argue against that stuff and Mandarin was so good. I've completely forgotten it. <laughs> it was like that, like I was able to argue in that. I mean, I haven't had so like it's been so long since I practiced like exclusively speaking in Chinese, but where I work, there's a lot of Chinese. Like I work around the Chinatown area in New York. Okay. And so like during lunchtime, I usually just kind of like go to a Chinese restaurant and I just talk Chinese. And like they like they that's how I keep that up. <laughs> that's awesome i I mean you know if you're like if you look like us they're not really that impressed but yeah like ah okay i get it maybe you know yeah you kind of look like us you know my mom speaks cantonese oh okay yeah she she worked in hong kong for years and i love it though because it's like we have a cheat code you know when we go to a chinese restaurant and they're like sometimes the the waitress waiters are like talking shit and she's like these guys are talking shit about us. <laughs> and then they'll yeah, come. Can, can, she won't say anything. And then they'll come to like, uh, you know, like uh, to take the order. And then she'll speak like mm. Cantonese. And they're like, oh shit, she understands us. Oh no, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like being in those moments as well. But Cantonese is great. I I, I want to learn that one too. That's that's mm. awesome for your mom to speak that one. I'm sure she picked up a little Mandarin too, no? She pro- she knows a little bit. Yes, she does. I knows a little yeah. bit, but she's more of like I believe Cantonese more. Actually, I, I that's awesome. Mixing it a lot, but, but anyways, um, you said so. You speak both, and you said earlier that you work for a museum. Like, do yes. You, do you did you plan that? Did you plan to go work for a museum? I mean, 
I actually, um, in college, I um, trained to be a news editor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so actually my major was in copy editing, which is like, you know, the actual editing of, of, um, articles and, and content, um, you know, um, checking it for not just grammar, but just making sure that, uh, you know, editing copy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also graduated at the same time as, um, the kind of collapse of the journalism kind of like industry. <laughs> and so I remember like in, in college, like we would have these guest lecturers who were supposed to tell us about how to, you know, put get your foot in the door and how to succeed as a journalist and things like that. And but most of them were just recently fired oh. <laughs> or like laid off. No. And so yeah, and so like a lot of like their a lot of them were just like, um, if you work really hard, maybe you'll get a job in this industry. Like it's it was very like pessimistic. Um and so for the first year or two out of school, I kind of like did that. Um, and I, I did some freelance editing and um, I, I worked in that kind of like world, but um, it was, it was a tough one to kind of keep up. Um, and, but I, I did gain kind of specific skills that um, were able to transfer to the nonprofit world. Mm-hmm. Um, and here in New York, um, the museum kind of world is the nonprofit world. It's very, very interlinked. And so um, I, I got a job in um, at the 9-11 Museum, actually, which was oh, wow. just opening. It opened in 2014. Um, and um, I got a job in their operations. Um, and I eventually transferred to the education department. Um, and I did that for a few years. And then, um, a, I, um, and then the, the 2016 um, U.S. elections happened. Um, and then like, there was this huge kind of like shift in a lot of people's minds here, especially the younger people about like, oh, what really matters about being an American? <laughs> and just kind of like, um, I, I personally, um, made the transition to like very much the nonprofit world. And I worked in immigration advocacy for, for four or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <clears throat> I worked there. I also kind of just like, was also in, in the operations, um, aspect of that, mm. um, and then I realized I, I like I missed museums. I, I liked like my first job even as a teenager was at, at a museum. Um, it's actually um, the museum that you might be able to see in your background, but um, it's the Liberty Science Center, which is like a children's science museum or a okay. family science museum. Um, but like I, I, I just kind of miss being in a space where like people are coming in and they're excited to learn things and they're visiting from out of town, and you know you get to kind of interact with like people from all over. Um, and so um, I, I I found a local museum here in New York um, that is very, very much loved. It's called the Tenement Museum. Mm-hmm. Um, and it tells the story of like immigrants from the 18th, uh, from the 19th and 20th centuries here in New York. And I'm like, oh, this is like the perfect kind of combination of all of the things I do, mm-hmm. right? It's like, um, I have a skill set in museum operations. I do have a passion for like telling immigrant stories and, you know, I, it's, um, I like eating Chinese food, and so and it's by and it's by Chinatown. So um, <laughs> I've been there for about a year and a half, and so uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's a good kind of um, uh, combination of the things. It's it's a good place to be right now, professionally. I love that. I love that. Congratulations! You're Thanks. very interesting. I was going deep dive on your Instagram a little bit and looking at okay. you know your posts, or whatever. And one of the posts that I love was you post this video of you sitting down and you just reciting the rosary oh whoa, you went back 
updated research. Home, homie, <laughs> I don't play, bro. I go deep. <laughs> you went back there. Yeah. So, yeah, I just like, I love that you're like sitting there. Let's talk about that. Like how sure were you, did you stop reciting the rosary before that? Why did you come back and what oh, made yeah. you come back? I mean, for me personally, um, the idea of ritual is really special. Mm. Um, I feel like as we as as the generations go by um you know religion plays it, it goes through waves right it like plays really deep roles or or sometimes people go through phases where like you know they aren't they don't keep up with their you know religious practice and things like that mm-hmm. i was i was raised a catholic i consider to consider myself a catholic even though i should be going to church a lot more um but um i think what draws me to my religion is the ritual of it um mm-hmm. and you know a lot of people like to say things like oh i'm spiritual i'm not religious or you know that's what they say like i'm not really religious i'm spiritual mm-hmm. i'm actually kind of the other way around mm-hmm. where the spiritual aspect of it like the the idea of like um you know praying to 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 god and 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 like having a deep relationship with people like jesus and the virgin mary and things like that i think it's really special and i, and I really commend that for like a lot of people because it really is like a like a, a solid foundation for people mentally and psychologically and, 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 um, and, and it gives them purpose. I think for me, I, I just find the ritual of it, what gives, what, what, what um, I find the, the, the ritual of it, like kind of like the really valuable thing um, mm. because I can tie it to people who don't share the, the, the faith that I share. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tie it. I can, I can find parallels with people who practice Hinduism or Islam or Judaism or things like that. Like we can kind of like find parallels in the way that we worship, even mm-hmm. though what we worship, it might be different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in, in kind of like my, my place in life right now, uh, that that's kind of been uh, what's special to me. And so something like the rosary, which I grew up with, um, and like, m- like my mom would sit us down every night and, and like pray the rosary. And I know that, you know, Monday's joyous, Tuesday is sorrowful, Thursday is luminous, you know, uh, like I still remember that, but I also find opportunities to kind of like update it for myself. Um, and I know that I could be confu- uh, be accused of being a cafeteria Catholic in that sense, but, um, you know, I've, I've prayed rosaries in which this decade I, decade, I dedicate to mentally um, the people in my life that are struggling or like this mm-hmm. next decade, these next 10 Hail Marys I'm dedicating to my own career. This next decade I'm dedicating to people who are hungry in the streets of New York. Like I just do that mentally. And I think that's kind of like what keeps it special to me. That's beautiful, man. I love that. Okay. Yeah. So now you're being quote unquote Catholic, trying religious and being a member of the LGBTQ community, you know, mm-hmm. church and LGBTQ, they, they don't, they're like oil and water. How you personally, <laughs> how do you, um, in your mind, how do you make them mix together? You know, I actually, when I was in college, I took this course. So I came out when I was in college, like mm-hmm. towards the end of it. Um, and like, I had like, kind of like denied myself, like my identity for the longest time. And I was actually just like vocally, just like against it, even though I like part of me knew that like, I shouldn't be doing, I shouldn't be thinking or or talking like this because Mm -hmm. it's a disservice to myself. Um, but I remember in college, I took this course called, um, like the Vatican II and the modern world. Mm -hmm. And it was about how it it was a history, it was a history, um, course 
about Vatican II, the Second Vatican Vatican Council, mm-hmm. uh, which was the um, kind of like the 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 council that brought the mass into the modern world. Um, you know, stopped making Latin the main language, and you know, the mass could be said in whatever language that you wanted. It changes the orientation of the priest during the mass and things like that. Um, and how it kind of like created these tensions within the Catholic church, but it also created these tensions or it, it also like redefined relationships within Christianity amongst denominations, uh, like, and all of these things. And it was like a very interesting course. And the, the students in that course were very diverse as well. It wasn't just Catholic students. It was like people from all over. Mm. Um, and so it was the first time that I had to defend my religion in front of other people. Wow. Um, because like, if you grew up in Jersey, like Catholicism is kind of like a default faith, <laughs> you know, um, it's kind of like the Philippines in that sense. Like, mm. you know, the, 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 it's a very diverse, like ethnically place, but like Hispanics practice Catholicism, Irish people, Italians, Polish people. We, it's so like Catholicism is like a default. So you never have to think about it. Mm. And this was the first time I had to like do it. Right. Mm. Um, and so I had to look at it really objectively, but I also wanted to kind of like offer my perspective as um from in in at my in my mind at that point in my life a, a traditional catholic um and there's this one point where i wanted to raise my hand and like offer kind of like this perspective mm-hmm. and then the professor was just like i'm going to stop you there because i know for a fact that you're filipino and there is something to be said about filipino catholics because their faith is so intertwined with their indigenous identity that it actually at some points does not align completely with what Roman teaching is. And that was wow. the first time I ever thought of that. Wow. Um, that was the first time I ever thought about being Filipino and being Catholic as not exactly the same thing. Right. Um, and as the years go by and I do like, you know, I, I learn more about what indigenous practice was, has been in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Um, and the things that in my own family, I've like I grew up doing like Ilohanos like practicing something called atang, which is like that food offering at the beginning of a party, right? That mm-hmm. you kind of like set aside some food for the ancestors, and we have our like every Filipino family has like a shrine, right? Um, and we kind of make it a point to create that little altar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure other other ethnic groups have that. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess that's not very Catholic about it, <laughs> you know, because um, that's very much like idolatry, blah blah blah. Um, mm-hmm. And like the professor was like, yeah, like it's it's a beautiful inter- it's it's a beautiful practice, but we have to. I, I want to make sure that we're like, for the sake of this course, we're thinking about this and the- and so that actually this is why I, this is how I'm answering your question about LGBT <laughs> about being queer mm-hmm. because that kind of like set off this whole idea of me kind of looking at the way that being Filipino specifically um, affects the way my Catholicism. Had had been practiced hmm. um, because the Philippine because the Philippine society, as conservative as it is, as religious as Catholic as it can be, as religious as it as it can be, is also also very much has the reputation for being accepting in in some regards to queer people, whether it be in our entertainment, whether it be mm-hmm. in our society, right? Like there isn't kind of like this this that same enthusiasm for violence against queer people as mm-hmm. other kind of conservative um, Catholic, Catholic societies. Um, and so like, yeah, I was discovering myself as a queer person 
in in the context of like being an American and kind of just like being a young millennial and like in this area, but I was also very very. Um, th- that was also was like a huge part of it. It's just like, oh, okay, well, this is why it doesn't like the 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 conservative Catholic part of me, the one that is educated in like American media, uh, American Catholic media, right? Um, like we have this channel called EWTN, hmm. um, and and it's just kind of like a very conservative Catholic TV channel. It's like that's not. It wasn't completely. I realized that it wasn't completely in alignment with what a Filip, how a Filipino Catholic practices or like approaches sexuality or things like that, mm-hmm. um, because Filipino Catholics approach um, a lot of things differently from other from like the mainstream Catholic. It approaches ancestors differently. It approaches na- We approach nature differently, right? We we view nature as a a collection of spirits rather than. Mm-hmm. Or, like, organic things right and like that's just part of our culture we ask we, we walk through forests and we ask the spirits to allow us to walk through for like you know th- these are things tabi, tabi po. Like, tabi, tabi po. we we brought in like a bunch of plants from the outside because it's getting cold here mm. and the plants are now crowding our bedroom and i was walking through my bedroom i very instinctively said tabi, tabi po. and like what? my husband was like yeah and then my husband's like what was that and i had to I, I i caught myself and i was like i had to explain it to my husband I still do it. I still do um, it. Yeah, I, I like because these these plants are like huge now and they're taking up the space. Um, but yeah, and so like I think my kind of like my my sexuality is actually um, just like kind of part of that in my head because I'm like yeah, it's actually it it yeah it is contradictory. But like what of like my identity isn't contradictory, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like a being a Filipino is is, is being contradictory. You're like you know. 300 years of colonial mentality and um you have to kind of and and we as immigrants are like going into these colonized spaces like you know us and canada that are their colonies and things like that and so and they're colonizing spaces um and so that's how i make peace with it by just allowing the um <laughs> by allowing the the different things um the the, the contradictions to live in, in peace with each other and yeah. Here in New York, I think it's actually um, it's it's kind of a blessing for me at, at least that here in New York you can find church communities that are actually pretty welcoming to the mm. queer community, like solidly Catholic churches that are very much in communion with the archdiocese, but they have a gay ministry and things like that. Like the church that I go to, it's like thirty percent gay guys, and like <laughs> it's just it's it's nice. <laughs> oh, of course, but I I like what you say that the Philippines is so open and welcoming with gay people, because yes, I went back 2019. There were so much gay kids. There was so, everyone's gay. everyone's gay now. Everyone's gay. Everyone's I was gay, like, dude. it's inc- like let's say if you see a group of kids walking, preteens or teenagers. If yeah. you see a group of girls walking, let's say four girls, I can guarantee you there's one gay guy walking with him. Yeah, of course. I'm like, of course. Where are they coming from? There's so much of them. I <laughs> mean, growing up there, there was a lot, but yeah, but yeah. Th- this time it's like a lot, lot. Yeah, or even like with like the groups of guys, like the tropa, and you can see like the, at least one of them, there's like the, the one gay guy now. And it's like, that's nice. That's cool. Yeah, this is like, okay, this is our gay friend that we don't yeah, give a shit if he's gay or not. Yeah. yeah. So it's good. It's it's really heartening to see. Um and it, and especially um for for the for the younger generations just like being able to kind of like live that. I think 
a lot of it in the past has just been very powerful people in the clergy and in the government who have these like really strong opinions, hmm. being able to drown out the majority of Filipinos who actually don't have a problem with it. And I think now um, there there's less of that power there and it's a little bit more dispersed. And so yeah. like normal people can just like enjoy. Yeah, I agree that like, like growing up there is just like, oh, that's the uncle that is gay or the cousin that is gay. That's it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't mm-hmm. like a big deal. Like, I don't think there's like a coming out thing in the Philippines, to be honest. We just know you're gay. That's oh, great. It. Yeah, I like, mean, you could tell. <laughs> you know, like you kind of can tell. But if the if a guy's like kind of acting gay or like there's rumors that he's gay, like, yeah, he doesn't have to say it. Yeah. Like, okay, cool, cool. He's gay. Yeah, you yeah. know, he's not going to yeah. get. Of course, there's sometimes there's bullying, but really no one cares. Yeah, people don't yeah. really care. Yeah. It's not like in the Western way, like you mentioned earlier, like you came out. Like there's no like, oh, I can guarantee you if they're in the Philippines, like out of maybe 20 gays, maybe one quote unquote came out. The rest are like, yeah, yeah, everybody knows. Yeah. And that, that's really special. And the, even I, 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 I can't speak for the way kids come out these days, but, um, but, I like I feel like that is just kind of like a point. There's always has to be like a turning point. And mm. like for 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 like the younger generations, like there's no turning point. It's just like, and that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it is like becoming cool. Like, like back before, I guess for you, it's like the, the code of your the part of your hero's journey. This is the time the hero yeah. goes travel and see the world right. and you know experience the world. They don't know how to struggle. <laughs> <laughs> these kids these days, you know. But let's go back to your by buying. How did you get into by buying? Uh-huh. I was a nerd, dude. I fucking <laughs> I loved like Lord of the Rings and shit. Like I loved <laughs> I loved Tengwar. Tengwar is the writing system that was used to write Elvish. Um, and I was like just obsessed with like learning the Elvish dialect. You know that they're Elvish dialects. This motherfucker created dialects for his his lore. Yeah, these people you know? are learning was, Elvish. I'm like, yo, learn French maybe. No, they're like he. People are like, uh, well, which dialect of Elvish are you learning? Are you learning Plania? Are you learning Cinderin? Are you learning High Elvish? I'm like, oh, bitch. I was learning. I was learning Cinderin, basically. <laughs> um, but um, I was just obsessed with writing systems and things like that. And then one day I came across like I don't know what it was like a one of these GeoCities websites, Angel Fire, hmm. and it was by and shout out C- Christian Kabuai. He's my boy. Uh, yeah. It was by him, and it was like basically he was kind of like one of like the forefathers of Americans or people on the internet finding out about Bye Bye. Everybody who knows about Bye Bye knows about Christian Cowboy. Yeah, they have to, yeah. Former um, guest, really? Yes. There you go. I, I was mean, actually I just texting him just this morning. That's what's up. Yeah. Well, tell him I, I, I tell him he was my origin story we'll <laughs> along do, with we'll a do. lot of people. But you know, he also has a very um, he has a very distinct style. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also has a huge passion for like kind of um, kind of using that style to in different media and, and things like that, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first time, you know, I knew about the creation or or the exist. I'm sorry, that was the first time I knew about the the, the existence of a pre-colonial writing system. That's the first time that like I had even kind of like considered like a Philippines before the Philippines and things like that. Mm. Um, uh, and um, 
it was awesome. And I'm like, you know, for years and years, that was like kind of like the only resource, right? It was just like that one like website, that one website, I don't even remember what it's called, where you can like type in your name and then like it'll give you like this janky kind of like transliteration. <laughs> Terrible translation. Yeah, with like the with like a very Unicode, like the one font, right? That's mm. like it's not current correctly and things like that. A shout out to whoever created that. Um, but then, you know, as the years go by, more resources come up. Um, you'll realize that more more people have done kind of like scholarly work on this stuff than others. And so, um, you know, I, I it, w- it was just something that kind of like I kept to myself and I would just doodle in the margins of like my notebooks and things like that. And, and like whenever I would hear a word either in English or Tagalog or anything, mm-hmm. I would see like, oh, how would you write this? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then eventually over the years, I kind of developed my own style, my own kind of like mm-hmm. handwriting. And it's like this thing that people started like recognizing in my social circle. Um, and as more people kind of found out about Bai Bai in, in the Filipino social circle, they were like, hey, Mark, can you actually kind of like write this down to show me what it looks like? And then I would, and then they would come back like a month later with it tattooed on their bodies. <laughs> and then I'm like, holy shit, people are walking down with my handwriting. That's oh, they're amazing. walking around with my handwriting. Yeah, it's cool. And I was just doing that for free. Like, like it was just something that I thought was like fun to share. Um, and then honestly, this time last year, people were like, you should, you should like, like do this for serious, right? Like, don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's enough capacity for you to quit your job and like, you know, start, start throwing everything in there. But, you know, people are coming for you for commissions. People are asking you to like, you know, um, design these cute little things. I'm like, you should start kind of like offering it to people and seeing, you know, um, if you can kind of, um, start talking to people right about it in a very in a more official way um because along with like all of these like professional stuff i've been doing i was also just continually um working as a community organizer with the filipino american community uh, especially the student community i started in college as like um a member of my student association i became the co-president of the Rutgers student association um, and then when I graduated, I moved on to kind of like this um, young professionals network. Um, and it just continued, I just continued to find opportunities to like engage with people in, in these very specific ways. And sometimes they would ask me to come in and just like talk about Filipino mm-hmm. linguistics and things like that. And uh, I was like, yeah, I would love to talk about these like really random things that would otherwise never come up, like ergativity in Philippine languages which is like this very specific thing that are very um, that makes filipino like that makes learning filipino very difficult for non-native speakers and i can talk about that for hours <laughs> but um yeah so i mean after college i would like go to like student run conferences and stuff and just kind of talk about just basic stuff about like the rich history of philippine languages um, the beauty of our languages, you know, the, the the kind of just like the poetic aspect to very basic things like why is gaibigan so like so pretty as a word as opposed to just friend? And it's because it's made of like all of these little parts that are just like, oh god, this means reciprocality and the essence of something and then an means vessel and then like mm. ibig means like love and so it's just mm. like the vessel where your reciprocal love lives that's what a, that's what a friend is like i would just like <laughs> go around and say dippy dippy shit but it's like nice you know i love it uh 
Yeah, and then like I would kind of just also do like a little kind of introduction to what my buy-in is and things like that. And so mm. I was just doing that on a volunteer basis as a organizer, educator, things like that, um, because we just wanted to kind of keep the momentum of that college experience going where we're just like, oh, well, Filipino college students have like that ability to kind of meet up and just talk about these. But once you go into the real world, um, that really doesn't exist for us. And we have to exist in these mostly white spaces and, and we have to kind of like shut that part of us off. Luckily, I think our generation is like being very intentional about creating Filipino spaces. And so now here in New York, you have all of these like um, kind of like networks, you have all of these nonprofits, you have these groups, you have these um, these kind of like um, associations of vendors and things like that that are um, filled with young energy around this mm -hmm. stuff and um and so there are like um kind of like markets now and then there are these like fairs and like these art shows and and gatherings and and pop-ups mm. um and i'm like you know what maybe it would be a good idea for me to kind of just like introduce myself into these worlds right into these worlds of pop-ups and markets and things like that mm -hmm. uh, and see if there is an interest in that and so yeah last year i started kind of like approaching these organizers just like hey if you want like a booth of somebody just kind of like taking on-site commissions where people are like oh yeah can you write my girlfriend's name and in, in by buy-in and then i'll like i'll come through I'll, I'll, I'll wear some ethnic ass fabric and um the malong oh yeah i'll wear malong and then like i'll like like i'll like buy a brush from the ch local chinese shop and then like we'll see what happens <laughs> And, um, you know, it's, it, it got attention. And so that's, that's basically kind of where, where this, all of this kind of energy has been. It's just like a lot of people reaching out and, you know, it's, it's not like my full-time thing, mm. uh, right now, maybe one day it will be, but, uh, right now it's just like this thing that I'm able to do, um, like outside of the nine to five, um, and, and kind of just, um, be able to kind of like offer these small things and, and they've expanded and I've started to create like these like map, a map series where yes. it's like <laughs> fire, bro. Fire. They do. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like, if you have a suggestion, like whatever, whatever city, let, let me know. I, I got to work on Metro Manila. Mm -hmm. I got to work on like San Diego. Um, <laughs> but right now we have like the tri-state area. We have LA, we have the um, Bay area. But yeah, uh, it's just cool to be able to see these maps in, in, in our script. How did you come up with that idea? Because when I saw that map, I'm like, yo, what's <laughs> up, homie? This is awesome. <laughs> yo, I don't know. Um, I actually have, we have a map in our living room. And it's like, it's a world map. And it's every nation's name in the language of that nation. And it's cool. Um, you cool. know, you would you would have like Canada and then you have like United States, but then like you wouldn't have China, you would have Tungo, right? And then you would have La France and then you would have Republica ng Pilipinas, right? Mm. And you would have it in there. Mm. And I'm like, wait, why is Republica ng Pilipinas in like Spanish letters? Like, it should be in by Bayern, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, um, that, that's kind of where it came from. And like, I would put together these these kind of like slide decks for like presentations for student groups and i would see that there are artists in the philippines who are like reimagining logos 
in by and and like reimagining i'm so like okay what well, you can reimagine where i live right we can reimagine these things that we refer to all the time and are mm. used to it um and yeah it's just like the like uh, a map of the philippines in by with no context right there's no there's there's no desire to translate it for other people like if if we lived in a fantasy world where Baibayan was the only writing system for our language, then that's what it would look like. And it would be really special. So, you know, I would also love to, I'm, I'm still working on them. You know, I'm still kind of figuring out the best way to like translate things like La Union is a Spanish word. Like, how do you, should I, should I have like translated that to Samahan, you know, because it's like the idea of a union. Yeah. Like I read about this. It's, they're saying that it's, a, if it's a Western language, it's, it's hard. It's either you do the way, like you translate the word into a the Tagalog word, right? Or you write it like how would you say it? How you pronounce it? Yeah. So but if you like read by Bayan, and if you look at the map that I created, like I was not very consistent, <laughs> um, and I think that's fine because there are no rules. <laughs> not <laughs> like really. I would, yeah, not really. So, like, I've translated La Union as La Union, but like Eastern Samar, I think I wrote like Silangang Samar. <laughs> I like it. I, I, you know yeah. what, dude? I, you know what I like that though is because it shows you a different perspective of how could you translate by Bain. Because, yeah. like I said, I talked to Christian Kabuai and one of his who became friend, yeah, Jakob Ira. Uh, he's oh of, shit! You talked to him too. Yeah, he's a former guest too. This, these are like if I'm writing something, I'm like, yo, dude, how can I write? Is this right? Is this proper? Right. So they right. kind of helped me out. There's some of somehow they're my mentors, but that's what the first thing they told me is if the, if it's a Western word, you have to translate it first. That's the first key. I don't know if it is mm-hmm. the rule. That's what they told me. I mean, what, who made the rules? Nobody. <laughs> no one. There's no book about my buying that says like from our ancestors right no one yeah uh, uh, until there's like a national kind of like committee creating rules around this like mm-hmm. the french have l'académie française which is like or like even the québécois like, like la langue française yeah they are so they are so strict mm-hmm. like they are so against the inclusion of foreign words but that's also antithetical to the philippine experience mm-hmm. like we are a na- we are a people that is a result of foreign influence like you can't you, you can't deny that and so like just to, to to deny that 400 years of of change is kind of like dishonest and mm-hmm. so that's the things i think about and so i'm like okay well maybe we should just transliterate these these english ass words i don't know <laughs> because the majority of filipinos can't don't even know that tinidor is a spanish word or no <laughs> there's so much like cebuyas cebuyas yeah you don't exactly. even know the spanish like like that's Spanish? Yeah, it's Spanish actually. Yeah, like 70% of the words in Bahai Kubo are Spanish. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> but that see, that's one thing I love about our language is because you'll see these words like, oh, that's Spanish, oh, that's English, oh, that's uh uh Hindi or that's uh, Japanese. Mm-hmm. It's so our I, I I think it's one of the most wonderful thing about our, our culture is how mixed we are. Yeah. Just the food. And in ways like, that we because, wouldn't even yeah, yeah, it's the food. It's it's influences that we didn't even like know we had. Like I, I read somewhere that eleven percent of Tagalog vocabulary is actually Nawas, which is like indigenous Central American, like Aztec Mayan. 
No way. Like that that kind of family? Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's like like the word nanay is actually from central Mexico area and it's related to the Nahuatl word. I don't Nantl. know. This. Yeah, Nahuatl wow. is like the name the, the name of the language and like Nantl is the name of mother and that became nanay. Wow. Um and then Tatl became Tatay. Like we have these words. <laughs> From, oh, there is a word that apparently is big in Haiti, and there's you can only find that word in the Philippines, and it's the it? exact same word, and it means is it the bagay? same. I, I think it's bagay. Yeah, I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? How is it possible that this tiny island across yeah. the Pacific knows the same word and yeah. equals the same? Yeah, I, I, I like um, Haitian Creole is actually one of the main languages of New York. So mm. New York City actually has 10 languages like mm-hmm. um, that are, is used in government. Mm. And I heard Asian, uh, Haitian Creole speakers say bagay, and I'm like, how do you know that word? Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. funny. I love language. It's it's such an interesting thing, you know. Um, yeah. Speaking of language, I heard somewhere. I don't know if it's still the case that you don't speak fluent Tagalog. Oh no, no! I can just like I can fake it. <laughs> so how does it affect your art? How you translate or how you write by Um, I think it. I mean, it's a it it's more a curse than a blessing, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I it, it, there's an objectivity because, like. Taglish is kind of like where I'm most comfortable, you know, yeah. when you go to kiss on you, when you go to QC, QC and like you pick Taglish as like, and then ATM, you pick Taglish as the option. Instead of English. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's me. <laughs> um, but I, um, it's, it's very interesting to be like that voice of like, Oh, this is how you do it. Especially when people, when, like native Tagalog speakers or like people who grew up in the Philippines come to my booth mm. and they're asking me all these questions. I'm just like, Oh no, I feel like I should be, te- you should be telling me this stuff. <laughs> and so as an academic practice, I feel like, you know, I have, I, I can, I can stand on it, but obviously when it comes to being able to kind of like when, when someone is just like, Hey, can you translate this phrase that I want to do? Mm-hmm. Or for example, I had, I have this one person who had come up to me, um, or he'd reach out to me and he was Jewish and he got married. And mm. in the Jewish tradition, um, you have this thing called a ketubah, which is like a contract, which is done in like Hebrew. And then there usually is like, a, uh, like a, there can be an English translation and mm. it's like the, uh, it's beautiful and it's very beautifully decorated. And it's a, it's, you usually frame it in your house and things mm. like that. And it's like, um, it, the details of the marriage it also contains the vows of, of the spouses and things like that mm. and his spouse is filipino and he's like oh can you translate this sacred jewish <laughs> document <laughs> can you number one translate it in tagalog and number two do it in baybayin i'm like i can do the second one <laughs> um and but it also gives me an opportunity to work with people who could do that mm. and um, and learn much more about the language um, and, and, and learn more about kind of um, the idea of deep Tagalog, right? Because mm-hmm. I get by in the world um, with my Taglish and with my like kind of just like 
I can switch to Tagalog when I need to like share a secret or whatever. <laughs> um, or like, you know, when I talk to my parents, I'm speaking in Tagalog because mm. um, they're getting older and that's what they're comfortable with. But mm. um, but it's domestic Tagalog. It's household Tagalog, right? Mm. Um, it's not the Tagalog you would use to kind of like educate and things mm-hmm. like that in, in like a deep way. And so I'm I'm getting to learn more about like what people consider to be deep when in my head it like it wasn't even existent right mm. and like when it comes to baybayin where you want to be as pure as possible you're like okay so how would you say email like in a in a practical situation in which like mm. we're using baybayin to communicate because you know as that's an ex- exercise that i do with some people like we actually yeah you know, like text each other in baybayin to see what happens and like okay um if i'm going to say i'm going to email you you know how do you write email do you write email or do you look up how you would say that in Tagalog? And then I found out that in Tagalog, there is a word for email and it's sulatronico. Uh, I don't know. That is not Tagalog. I can tell you right now. I that know. I is, mean, uh, spang, spang, spagalog, I guess. Spanish spagalog, Tagalog, you know? Yeah. Tagalog. Mm, exactly. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, but it's like, it's 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 also just kind of like a fun exercise to see like how 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 uh practical like you know a baybayin only world could be and things mm. like that and so um yeah that's it's it's the my the, the relationship with and, and also like as an ilocano it's just like okay well um this is how you like do the spelling rules change because ilocano has very specific mm-hmm. kind of like modifications to our alphabet um, for sounds that don't exist in mm-hmm. in standard Filipino and things like that, and so like those are definitely things that I think about. And so, yeah, the fact that my language is actually like this hybrid Ilocano Tagalog English thing growing up has has allowed me to think about things more creatively. Yeah, I love it. I, I do. That's one thing I loved when I start refreshing my by buying knowledge is like I it thought I speak fluent Tagalog. Well, I'd mm-hmm. like to think I speak fluent Tagalog, <laughs> but then I think of a word. I'm like, what is that word? I don't even know that word. And then I have to review myself, and I, and then I'll learn. Oh yeah, that's the word that my grandma used to say, mm-hmm. which I forget. As you know, lang- you don't practice your language, it will go away. Right, right, right. right? So tama, <laughs> tama, exactly. Um, like, like I said, I grew up speaking Tagalog, like deep Tagalog. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, I'll speak Tagalog with my family, but like you said, domestic uh, Tagalog, and then we'll be like an old person that comes from back home and will speak Tagalog. Absolutely like, not, yeah. And then I'll be like, oh <laughs> shit, I forgot that word. Right, right. And right. it's like opening a box of toys that you haven't played in a while. I'm like, oh, I remember this toy. It's a beautiful toy that yeah. I enjoy so much, you know? That's yeah. one thing I love about then one thing about learning back by Bayan and Tagalog, you know? Yeah. Do you and speak I Ilocano remember, Sorry? Um, my Ilocano is... So I remember you were like actually interviewing someone who is who is who could understand completely Tagalog, but mm-hmm. like was having problems or like reading it. I, I forgot uh, mm-hmm. what, 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 what they were. I don't were. remember this one. Oh, but it, it was somebody who was like, yeah, my my comprehension of Tagalog is absolutely perfect, but I can't put together a single sentence or something. <laughs> yeah, sometimes things like that. Yeah, it's yeah. funny, like, 
like sometimes I'll speak to because I love speaking Tagalog because at home my wife is Canadian, Italian, Irish, uh-huh. so there's no Tagalog in the house. Well, mm-hmm. I speak speak to my kid, but they just look at me. I'm stupid. Unless uh-huh. I'm hang- angry. When I'm angry, then they understand that, you know? Very good. <laughs> <laughs> and, at least, at least they're ke- keeping it up. <laughs> yeah. It's, and so when I speak to my, sometimes I speak to my family and I start speaking English and I, sometimes I'm like, I castigate myself for it. I'm like, no, dude, speak Tagalog. There you and, go. You yeah. need to. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, that's definitely something that most Filipino Americans like are kind of resent because obviously our parents wanted us to function in English, no problem. Mm -hmm. But then we had to, you know, sacrifice that part of us. Um, But I actually found like the one Ilocano tutor online last Mm. year and I started taking Ilocano lessons because I do want to get good at it. I can understand it, but I can't put together sentences. I'm much better at Tagalog. Um, But, you know, my parents are getting old and I could also tell, I could already see that my, my father himself is like, He's kind of reverting to this world where, like, it's a very Filipino world. Like, he had to learn English to be here in America. But now he's spending half the year in the Philippines. He's not really talking to other, like, non-Filipinos now because he only talks to his kids. And so I'm like, damn, I should, I should learn Ilocano because he's going to not want to speak English anymore. I'm like, yeah. So I'm on I'm on the, the race. I'm on a race against the clock. Um, but it's very – it's funny, too, because, like, my family – like we 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 don't function in English, and so like when my husband's and my husband's Black American, like he's American, um, he when he's in the room, my parents like talk to him in Tagalog, and like he doesn't know what's going on, but after ten years, like he's he's learned to kind of just like smile until the context clues give him. Mm, yes, yes, him yes. What's yes. going on? That's my wife is better now with Tagalog. She doesn't speak it, but she'll uh-huh. like she'll get it. Like when they do chismes. They'll, oh, there you go. You know, they'll she'll she'll understand. So sometimes I'm in the, the other room and the women are just dismissing on the other, uh-huh. the other room. If it's a complete English the whole time, because I'm still listening and I'll just yell, English. And oh then, no. And then she they get learn. mad. And then you're like, learn, learn Tagalog. You have to learn. <laughs> like you cannot teach her to turn. Doesn't make sense. You I know? agree. No, gotta do it. Yeah, do it. <laughs> but yeah, she's yeah. learning. It's funny when she comes from like when she goes to the store because she goes to the Filipino store. You know, she she loves the Filipino. Yeah. She she yeah. goes like, oh, I saw this group and they're saying it was mahal. The the food was mahal, mahal. I'm like, hey, stop listening to my people, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I encourage it. I'm I'm like an enabler. No, me too. So, I, I love the I love when she's like she tries or sometimes we're walking down the aisle in the store and she's like she sees them and she looks at me. I'm like, <laughs> like, yeah, that's my people. I can smell them. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, Darnell does this thing too, where he 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 started kind of like he would he would do an interaction with the Filipino, but like on his way out, especially when it's like at a store, he'd be like salamat po or like whatever. Ah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, it'd beautiful. be nice. Anyways, yeah, yeah. I think we're there, my man. Thank you so much for coming. Oh on the man, podcast. this is a great time. Thank you, thank you. Before we yeah. close out, do you have any last remark or any message or whatever? Oh, I mean, yeah, like and subscribe. Basically, just find me on Instagram, TK Buyin. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have suggestions on maps that you want to see, let me know. Mm. Um, happy Filipino American History Month! Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that's a... yeah, it's it's a big it's a big thing here. Um, we're trying to make it a big thing. You know, there's a lot, um, 
learn your history. And as in terms of Filipino history, kind of like think about Filipino history on a global scale because we are a global people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that we we need to start owning, you know, as as the uh, as a as a people who send, tends to be seen as like the servants of the world, especially in a lot of different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Like we 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 kind of view ourselves as visitors there, but we're we we belong wherever we go. Um, and I think that's something to um, to tie into, you know, like the theme of your podcast of like an immigrant's life. That's like, oh, well, there are a lot of different factors in history that have brought us to this very space. Mm-hmm. And so kind of like, don't be, don't be afraid to take up the, the space in there because um, especially if it's a place where your, your voice isn't very much heard or your community isn't very much like at the forefront or the center. Um, that's even more of a reason to, to show off who you are. Um, and as Filipinos, I think that's something that we're finally getting to realize um, in our media and, and, and we have the tools online to do that and, you know, your podcast and things like that. So I am very appreciative of this opportunity and I wish you all the success for very selfish reasons because I want to see our faces on more things. Of course. Again, maraming salamat po, Manong. Salamat, salamat, salamat. Have a good evening. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Again, Mark, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.